May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be free from harm. May all beings love life. May all beings awaken. Welcome to another Cuke Audio podcast. I'm DC Puba of Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives, preserving the legacy of Shunju Suzuki and those whose paths cross his. And anything else that comes to mind, I pray that you and yours are safe and comfortable, free from economic hardship, and able to get out and do whatever it is you want within the limitations of the universal precept of do as little harm as possible. So today we have a guest, Iva Jones. Iva came to Zen Center in 1970. She's going to talk about uh, what got her there. What's happened since? Uh, and, um, oh, you know, one thing, uh, I might even call her up tomorrow morning and ask her about this. Uh, Elizabeth Sawyer told me that uh, uh, Iva had, at, at some point, had some shaman she studied with, and she didn't mention that. So, um, you know, and I kept thinking, well, maybe I should ask her about that and add that. But I kept not doing it. But um, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Anyway, um, so look, we'll give her a call just as soon as we've had our pause to meditate. And, oh, you know, one thing I was thinking about is <laughs> I have this pause to meditate. It's a little silly, huh? But I think it's so interesting you know, I, I sit alone at home, right? And I like doing that. I love sitting with other people. I mean, I've done retreats here. That's really great, but I'm happy sitting alone. But I think it's really interesting that people will go online and sit with other people. So that's why I started the pause to meditate three years ago. Uh, I, I thought... Oh, well, we can do that too. But we can do it at a time of our choosing. But there's no difference. <laughs> it's probably isn't true. I mean, it's just one way to look at it. I thought, well, people who meditate together online are doing it at the same time. But why can't we do it at different times? So I just created the pause to meditate, where you just hit pause, and then you meditate. And then everybody in this way is also sitting at the same time. It's just another way of understanding time. And everybody is sitting for the same length of time between the two pauses. And I don't know, I just thought it was sort of cool. It, it's a, a zendo where you can come and go as you please. Now, when I was at the Ramana Ashram in Tiruvannamalai in India, uh, they had, you know, their big thing was the service in the morning, which was really cool, and in the evening, the wonderful chanting, um, men on the left, women on the right, and calling and back and forth. It was really cool. 
And I really like to do those. And each one of them was, I don't know, 45 minutes an hour. And um, I'd sit there with, you know, 100 people or something. While they, I mean, there'd be, there'd be uh, in the evening, there'd be like 30 people on each side doing the chanting. It was great. I don't know where they all came from. Uh, but I, I loved that place. I loved being there. Uh, anyway, they had a little meditation place. It wasn't a hall. It was a room. It was rather small. And there'd be maybe a dozen people in there sitting, and people would come and go. And every once in a while, some guy would come in with incense and fill the room <laughs> with incense smoke. And sometimes somebody would come in and start doing prostrations. I mean, there were just no rules. Uh, people weren't being noisy or having conversations. It was very nice. I really liked it. It was very free form. So uh, the pause to meditate is extremely free form. For instance, if if your meditation is running, you can go run. You can run around the block or run over a mountain and come back. It can be any length. They're all the same length. It's just a different type of physics involved with it. So I just thought I'd share that with you. So when you hear the bell, if you're of such a mind, hit pause and meditate or whatever for as long as you wish and when you're through meditating or whatever I'm ready to come back hit unpause and we'll be here to hit the bell to welcome you back give Iva Jones a call Hello. Hi, Iva. David. Thank you for calling. Yeah, well, thank you for answering. You called about the same time you said you were going to, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how are you doing? I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm doing okay. It's rained a lot here today. Oh, good. A few inches, probably. Good. California has had a drought for several years, and now they're having a flood. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess it's not good to have too much at once, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, I just saw there's, uh, I, I think in Washington Post, a headline that said uh, there might be some really extreme flooding in California. So good luck. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, are you in San Rafael? No, I'm in Healdsburg. Oh, you're way up in Healdsburg. Right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. There was once a time I was in San Rafael, but it was, I've been up here about 20 years. Ah. Ah. Uh-huh. So, um, what do you, what, how do you spend your days? What are you up to? Well, I'm up to being old, basically, it seems as well. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I live in a in a in a one bedroom apartment. I uh, have some caregivers that come every day but Sunday, and 
I have a dog who oh. is a, a small dog. Yeah. She's my second dog, but she's small, and she's uh, rather pretty. And uh, as I said, she's my second dog. My first dog was almost the love of my life. I adored that dog. And mm. Yeah. And she's the second dog. And although I adore her, she's not the she's not the love of my life kind of dog. Everybody seems to have one dog, that, or one if they have pets. Yeah, one pet that really, really, really opens their heart, and, and that was the dog before this one. Mm. That was Mika. This this dog's name is Ginny. Mm. Mm. So. so- where, where are you from? Where were you born? Massachusetts. Yeah. And and uh, what year was that? 1944. You know, I can hear the Massachusetts in you a little bit there. Yeah. I, it, it, I didn't get rid of all of it. And I think part of the reason was that I was extremely shy as a child. I mean, extremely shy. And I, I barely could talk and without so I didn't I didn't lose the accent because I uh, never really um, talked much until I was a senior in high school when the floodgates opened boy and I just couldn't shut up for the rest of my life (laughs) that's great that's great well um, uh, how'd you get out to California. Well, let, let me ask you a, a different way. Uh, what's your, you know, I, I know you through uh, uh, San Francisco Zen Center. Uh, what, what's your uh-huh. earliest uh, memory of any inclination of any uh, spiritual thought or uh, wondering what it's all about or whatever? Oh, I think that I actually think I was born with those questions. They go back so far in me. Yeah. I mean, I think the earliest. Yeah. I, I swear they went back until I was four or five years old, at least, because that's when I started to think about them consciously. And uh, then when I was around 11 or 12, I thought I had had a spiritual experience and I was called by God to do something. I'm not quite sure what. <laughs> and I don't think I'm sure what at the time either, but I was kind of stunned by the experience. I think I was I think I was ten or eleven. And my mom my mom seemed to notice something and she said, Have you ever thought of going into the church of a you know, a life profession? And I said, oh, mom, I think I have to do that. You know, so, you know, it's so dramatic. And um, uh, A what profession? So, some kind of profession that had to do with the church. With what? We were Protestants. Oh, church. church. I just didn't hear the word church. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. And I said, oh, mom, I have to do that. And I, I felt as if I guess I felt that I guess I had this experience like I I was sitting on the ground in front of a tree and I felt like just God had come up and hugged me. 
Mm. And uh, I don't know why it made a big impression on me, but it did. Mm. And and so that was my first inclination of a sort of spiritual nature. And then I came to, when I came to San Francisco, uh, I came because I had broken up my, my, um, the, my, this boy I was engaged to broke up with me. And it was during the Vietnam War and he was drafted into the Vietnam War. Uh, he was about my age and he was also an anthropology major. And, uh, he said, I, I just can't take this. It's too much, you know. I can't have a girlfriend and I'm not allowed to chew gum in a service or something. And, uh, so he broke up with me and I thought, ah, and my friend, uh, Ross just wrote me a letter and said, come on out to California. He said, it's a great place to heal. So I ended up in San Francisco Chinatown because that's where he lived. Wow. What year was that? 1960. I think it was either, it was, I think it was, uh, at the time between 1968 and 1969. Yeah. You know, like the Christmas season, I think I came out here. Uh-huh. Uh, what, uh, what school were you in at the time? Miami University of Oxford, Ohio. I've been there. That's where the the uh, training like- camp was for uh, the the long hot summer civil rights. Uh, uh, That's what it, exactly where was because I I got involved in that. Ah, oh, you did. I got. Yeah, I did. Tell me. <laughs> well. I don't remember how I got involved, and that's the absolute truth. I've tried for years to remember how I got involved. But the first thing I remember is being in a car with with um, a few other people who were involved, and we were driving down, not to Selma, which is where I expected to go. We were driving down to Raleigh, North Carolina, and uh, we got there. And the the girls and the boys were, we stayed in a hotel that was run by black people. And the girls and the boys were separated, of course, because, you know, the time. And then uh, a a bomb happened and the the hotel and the room I was staying in was blown up. No kidding. Wow. No, I, that really happened. But I didn't know, I, I almost didn't know why. I, I, I was so naive that I didn't understand what the problem was. But I decided we, we, we didn't leave because of that. And I decided to participate in, in a lunch counter sit-in. I remember that. The other thing that I remember about that trip, and I was 18, I think, or that was a, I was a freshman in college. Uh-huh. Um, what the other college? Thing I, oh, Miami. Right. Miami. And I, Oxford, um, Ohio. Right. I was, let's see. I remember going around 
door to door and interviewing people and asking them um, if they were registered to vote. And I tried to register them if they weren't registered to vote. And most of the people, this is in Raleigh, North Carolina, most of the people lived in sort of shacks with wood floors. And uh, that was pretty impressive to me. I had never seen shacks with wood floors before. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. then we went back. Oh, wait a minute. I want to go back to the bombing. You no, said okay. you didn't know why it had happened because you were pretty naive. Tell me, why That's, did it happen? Why was it bombed? I don't know. It had something to do with us staying there and us being white. Yeah. And I just, I didn't, I don't think I ever really understood what was happening. Yeah. Why, why, why the whole event seemed so fraught because I just I just didn't have a much much knowledge of yeah. the civil rights movement. Yeah. Well, I was I thought that see I thought that I was gonna go to Selma and I was gonna meet the you know that guy who became a congressman, John Lewis? Yeah, sure. Head of SNCC. I think he was head of SNCC. No, anyway, I, I don't think he, John Lewis was head of SNCC. What what year are you talking about? 1968 or 1969, I think. Huh. Well, Robert Moses was head of it in 64 when I was there. Maybe John Lewis. Maybe John Lewis became head of it. Yeah. I don't know whether John Lewis was head of it or not, but he certainly had gotten himself into a hell of a mess down there. And, um. Yeah. And, and, and I thought, I, because of, of the way John Lewis's face is or was until he died recently, I recognized him in pictures. You know, I don't necessarily, I'm not good at recognizing people that in a different time in their life, but he, he looked a lot like himself even when he was older. Uh-huh. So I recognized him as John Lewis when I saw a picture of him. In Selma, but I, I didn't, I wasn't in the Selma thing. Yeah. Well, I, I want to say one thing about the bombing is that, uh, I, I, I don't know how aware people are that throughout the South, black businesses were bombed, uh, burnt, mainly burned. Uh, it didn't have to be because there was a white, uh, White people there are, of course, if there were white people there that had some uh, civil rights purpose, that would make it a target. But they burned uh, black motels, black funeral homes, uh, black businesses, uh, especially in Mississippi. And uh, I went back to Mississippi, oh, I don't know. 25, 30 years ago and met with some leaders in Laurel, Mississippi, where James Cheney, who'd gotten murdered, came from. I knew him. And um, one of the things they said, they said, if you'd have met with us back then in this home, the home would have been burned down. Uh, but now they said everything's changed. Uh, it's not like that. Nobody cares about that. It's not our problem. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to say that. 
Uh, well, that's great. Well, uh, keep going. I can't think of much more about that. I mean, I came back up. I was, I think it was between my freshman and sophomore year at Miami. Yeah. So, so we came back up. I became a sophomore, you know, and I don't remember too much about the rest of it. You know, I think my sophomore year was when I started to really have boyfriends and date a lot, you know, uh-huh. and I don't, I, uh, and then eventually I graduated. Oh, as I said, I, my, my boyfriend that had broken up with me, the one that I was engaged to, but, um, I came out here and lived with Russ who he was interesting and he, he would take he would take me to, you know, those mountains across the, across the what is it, what is it called Point Reyes? Yeah. Now you lived with whom? Just this guy that you never knew. He was not not a he never came to the Sun Center. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, so you went over uh, uh, not Mount Tam. You're talking about. You're just talking about the the sort of the hills. Okay. So. National Recreation Area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we went up on Mount Tam some. I think Mount Tam was where I did my first acid trip. Ah, very good. So, um, I, I, I know it was. I know exactly where I was. Mm. And uh, I found the acid to be magical. I just thought it was a wonderful thing. And it, it was what really opened me up spiritually. It made me know that um, that's why I got interested in Zen Center, I think. It's because of acid. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, uh, I had very deep spiritual experiences from acid. I don't, I don't, I, I didn't take it a lot. I think I took it at the most 10 times. And mm-hmm. by the end of my taking it, I didn't want to take it anymore. That's, that's pretty much my experience, too. Um, yeah. So uh, uh, how did you uh, how did you get to the Zen Center? Okay. I was living, as I told you, I was living in Chinatown. Yeah. And this woman that was a friend of my boyfriend's, Russ's, I don't remember the woman's name. She was kind of petite and brown hair, and I can't, I don't know, but she started to explain about the Zen Center that it was on Bush Street, and uh, she was explaining how there was sort of a community on Bush Street. They didn't exactly all live together, and that um, there was this, Jewish temple. She was trying to explain to me about Sokolji. Yeah. And uh, I didn't, I I heard her and I thought I tucked it away in my brain as something I wanted to do. Yeah. But I didn't do it right away. I can't remember why, but I didn't. It was probably another year before. Oh, yeah. I remember now. It, the, I, I I got involved in the Yogananda um, 
Self-Realization Thanks. Foundation, SRF. Right, SRF. I got involved in that, and I did meditation. I they I got a every week. I think I got a lesson in the mail from them, mm. and and that they told it was always printed on blue paper, and they told me how to meditate, how to do exercises that would. Uh, you know, help me open up spiritually mm-hmm. and so on. So I did those. I did those. Oh, I was living in forest stolen. So, uh, Ivan, uh, we had a little blip there. Uh, so I ended the back. Start, would you, would you go back to where you yeah. were? Uh, uh, it became unintelligible just for a minute. Uh, go back to the point where you you were doing the uh, SRF uh, Yogananda uh, practices. Right. Also, what did you think of it? Did you did you appreciate them or what? Oh yeah, I thought they were wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what happened was that one day I wandered in. To this, it, this is in Forestville. I wandered into this little tiny shop. It was called the Primal Sound, and mm. I, I kind, kind of knew the two, the husband and wife who owned it, and he started to tell me about Yogananda, and then he gave me a copy of of. Yogananda's book, which I don't know the name of, but when I read Autobiography it, it of a Yogi, isn't it? That's what, what it was, Autobiography of a Yogi. And when I read it, it just blew my mind. I just, I, I was just so impressed with that book. And uh, I wanted to finish it so I could start taking the lessons that, that was, which I told you came in the mail once a week on blue paper. And uh, let's see, the next thing I remember about the Yogananda thing is I was up in a tree and I had my arms around a branch and I was hanging from the branch. (laughs) And something happened about Yogananda then. I don't remember what it was. But anyway, I ended up going back to the city, but in the city I couldn't find a group meditate with and that I want I didn't want to do it alone anymore I wanted some company <laughs> so that's how I ended up at the event center I was uh, I was over I was living over not far from the event center over on Guerrero Street but near the top of Guerrero Street so it was only about three blocks from the event center Oh, from the and, now uh, no longer at Bush Street on Page Street at the city center. It's on Page Street, right. It was on Page Street when I made that phone call. That I said I wanted to learn to meditate. And the person who answered the phone, who I can I can no longer remember who it was. It was a woman. Uh, I can remember that she was married, though. She was married to a guy with kind of blonde, bushy hair. And uh, she worked in the front office. And she explained to me that 
Oh, I think that the person who I was staying with on Guerrero Street explained to me that they had moved from Bush Street over to Page de Maguna. I said, no, they wouldn't move there. And she said, they, they did, yes. So I got a hold of their phone number. So I talked to that who works in the front office at that time, who was a, a shrimpy young woman, very short, very small, married to a somewhat larger man who might have been a doctor. I, I'm not sure. Anyway. Uh, might have been what? A, a physician. A oh. doctor. I can't oh. think of his name or her name. Uh-huh. And I, I don't even know if they're still alive. But anyway, <laughs> I right. explained to her that I wanted to uh, learn to do um, Zazen. Yeah. And she said, well, come on Saturday morning at such and such a time, like it was at 9.30 or something. So I came over and I joined Zazen instruction, which was given by Bill Kwong. Oh, really? And uh, Yeah, Bill Kwong gave Zazen instruction for quite a while around that time. Huh. And I think that I went to the same first Zazen instruction that Linda Ruth Cops went to. Oh. So we sat it at Zen Center at the same time. Oh. So... Huh. Uh, I, I remember seeing her, I believe also, well, never mind, I, I, I must be wrong about the second person I thought I saw there. Oh, no, but, go on, uh, tell me so I can hear what's wrong. Ulysses? Ulysses? Oh, something like that. Ulysses, yeah. Yeah. I thought he was at that construction, too. Could be. Yeah. yeah. He it, still lives he in that play. neighborhood. He does. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I th- I think we all three came around the same time, the same Saturday. And I did not know what, what even at this point, I had never heard of Suzuki Roshi. I had never heard of Katagiri Roshi. They were both at the Sun Center at that time. And I uh, decided to come the next day to do Zazen. And the next day was Sunday, obviously. And uh, I went down and I did a period of Zazen. And I stood up. And then I noticed that everybody, except me, picked up their Zafus. And I, I couldn't believe people were picking up their Zafus. And I thought, well, they're going to take these Zafus someplace. Maybe I know what they're doing. They're going to take them someplace and bless them and bring them back. So now I had it solved in my own mind what they were doing, holding these apples in front of their chest. And so I followed them. They went upstairs. We sat down. Suzuki Roshi spoke. And uh, my life was changed when I heard him speak. Mm. I thought he was the most amazing person I had ever heard out of a word of English. You know, so... Mm. Those tiny little feet of his, hmm. those tiny hands and that crooked finger. Oh, yes. I thought he was amazing. Hmm. And uh, then I took my pillow back down and went home. And for a while, he did Saturday lectures. But he, that was his, the last year of his life. And then he got 
some kind of gallbladder problem. And uh, that was, I guess, in 1972. One. He got 71. Yeah, he died at the end in on December the 4th. Right. That was my birthday. Oh, goodness. And I was, I, they had put, it was a shishin, and I had been put to sit so that when I stood up, I faced Baker, Dick Baker. Yeah. You know, he was across the aisle from me. And I remember he came in that morning. And he did a jundo, but he never came back. They never scattered the period of Aden with his three bows because he didn't come back. And I remember that. And I remember that I heard a siren. Now, I don't think the siren was coming as unfinished, but I heard an ambulance siren, ambulance sound outside. And then I thought, oh, my God. I thought. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, an ambulance didn't come for Suzuki. Uh, no, I know. But you, I knew that later. But yeah. at the time when I heard the ambulance, I thought it meant Suzuki Roshi was dead. Mm-hmm. And that he had died on my birthday. Therefore, it was my fault. I, <laughs> I, I made up quite a story about Really? Because he died on my yeah, I I, it, I tortured myself for about two years with that, and I remember at the time that that um, <clears throat> that he died, he finally Baker finally came back and bowed and so forth, and then he went and stood at his feet, and he told us that Suzuki Roshi was dead. Mm. And then he came over to me and he put his arms around me and he said, Suzuki Roshi chose his own time to die. Oh, my goodness. That's really interesting. That's what happened that morning for me. And then... You mean... uh, Wait a minute. I want to go back to that. You mean Dick announced that Suzuki Roshi had died? Or Baker Roshi yes. announced that he was Baker Roshi then, and Suzuki Roshi had died, and then walked over to you and put his hands on you and said he chose his own time? He died. That's what he said to me. Wow. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. It is sort of interesting, but at the time, I, I just thought he didn't know what he was talking about. It was my fault that he was dead. <laughs> And, wow. Um, Pardon I me. I was really, I, I, I really, you know, bought my own line, hook, hook, line, and sinker. And I went to Tashihara very soon after that. Mm-hmm. And I, I went there in, well, it was December 4th when she died. But I went to, it was probably the first of April when I went to Tassahara. And I got there and Tassadami Roshi was there. That's about, that is the end of that memory about Tassadami Roshi. I remember that he was there and I didn't know who he was and he looked kind of rough and angry to me and I was scared of him. Mm. And, <clears throat> and then. Wait, wait, um, wait, wait. 
Tatsugami was not there. Tatsugami did not come to Zen Center after Suzuki died. Tatsugami's last time to come to Zen Center, uh, last time would have been April the, the, of 1971 while Suzuki was alive. Uh, and, and, uh, oh, that was the first time I went to Tatsugami then. I, um, I, yeah, I, I got order. I got the order wrong because Tatsugami Roshi was definitely at Tatsugami when I went. You, but, did, but you didn't do the practice period with him. No, I did not. So you arrived at I, the end of the practice period, and he hadn't left yet. Uh, right. And that would be more like probably uh, April 15th. Okay, I arrived. He was there. I stayed for a few weeks. Um, Isan was there, and he was walking all over the place with a, with a bandana handkerchief hanging out of his back pocket sniffing all the time and he worked in the kitchen ah i don't remember who the who the tenzo was mm-hmm. i just don't no matter who, you could tell you could tell me it was god and i wouldn't believe you you know i had no idea who the, i i didn't know the different jobs but i but if made an impression on me ah. <laughs> anyway um that so I went back to the city, and I lived in the Zen Center, and I worked as a caregiver, I guess. I, 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 I'm a little hazy on this, but I stayed in the city for a while. Uh, I told myself I would never leave Zen Center if Suzuki she was alive, and I didn't. But I didn't leave the Zen Center for, you know, for years. Yeah. Uh, then, uh, okay, so I I came in 70, I came in the first, the first, I came on the first Saturday of 1971 to the Zen Center. Oh, you came on in January, the first Saturday of 1971. Huh, yeah. Right. Uh huh. So I came, um, I don't know the date. It was probably the third or, you know, it was around the first, but it wasn't the first. I don't, I don't, I don't think it was first. And, um, uh, I came. Oh, I remember one thing I asked that lady in the front office when she said Zazen was done sitting on cushions. Well, the only cushion I had in my house was this square orange cushion that was losing its foam. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to have to take that cushion over to this place that I've never been. And they're not going to like that. And I said, so I finally, you know, and I said, do I have to provide a cushion? And she said, no, that they will provide it. (laughs) And I was relieved to not have to take my shredded orange cushion over there. (laughs) <laughs> so you know we we make up things that are going to be trouble so and mm. then oh zazen instruction was given in the basement of the in the zendo i guess you'd say at, in uh at page and laguna mm. 
Mm-hmm. And I, right. I told you that that guy that ended up at Sonoma Mountain Center gave it gave the Zazen instruction. Yeah, Bill Kwong. Bill Kwong, right. That's and, that's, and something I thought like, was interesting was that he didn't tell you that there was a lecture following it. No, I had no idea. None. I mean, I literally had none. I couldn't imagine why people were picking up their cushion. And But as I said, I followed them because, um, you know, because I, I really wanted to have a group to meditate with, and I was willing to do almost anything if I had to kiss cushions fine, you know. I didn't care what I had to do. Yeah. Because somehow or other I imagined us kissing these damn cushions and and bowing over them. Yeah. And <laughs> making them holy in some way. And I thought, who cares? I just want to meditate with other people. I had no idea, none, zero, that there was going to be a lecture. I didn't even know the place gave lectures, you know. Yeah. That was January so, 2nd. Maybe. No, it was. Oh, it was? Yeah. Oh, okay. I just looked it and, up. Uh, oh, I, I realized that after you said it was January 2nd. Yeah. But anyway, whenever it was, Suzuki Roshi spoke, and he, it seemed to me, in one of the first lectures I went to, maybe not that one, he started to talk about being sick. And she started to talk about how the readers mm. sometimes mm. left left their students behind, and all all the other people started crying. And and I I felt this fear, but I don't think I cried. I felt this fear that that this person who I thought was amazing was, was not going to be there very long because that's what he said. And I thought, he shouldn't say that. He shouldn't say that. It was as if making his saying that might make it happen, that he would he would leave us. Uh, that was the driver lecture, I'm sure. I might have been. There was something about a driver in it. Right, right. That's... Uh... Uh, one of the b- best <laughs> remembered lectures he ever gave because of that. Uh, he says, you know, but that the driver will die and then you need a new driver. And hopefully you won't bother the new driver as much as you did this one because you tried to drive you somewhere and you won't keep saying, oh, let's stop here and, and uh, have some coffee, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I, I- the driver lecture. I didn't know people call it that, but I remember that the driver dying. Yeah. Um, I was just so young. In, in I guess I was twenty three or something. I was so young. Um, mm-hmm. I was not twenty three. I was older than that. But I, uh, you know, I didn't grow up real fast somehow. <laughs> and I remember. People, I remember Reb was there. Reb was at the Zen Center then, and he would sit very quietly with his black robes on. I think he must have been ordained before I got there. That's right. 
because he wore he wore black robes. I I never saw Reb without a bald head and black robes. Hmm. And well, I might have seen him in other colored robes later, but yeah. But I I never saw him as a as a new student. I never knew him as a lay person. Right, right. He he um he knew what he was doing. Uh, yeah. I mean. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he, he was pretty intimidating to me from the beginning. Mm. I was intimidated by Reb. Mm. But Reb was, I think Reb was dating Deborah Madison, but I'm not positive. Yes, yeah, true. He, okay. <clears throat> and then, uh, right, stuff. I, you know, just stuff. The next, I mean, it's been so long ago now. The next thing I actually remember was meeting, of all people, was meeting Lou Hatman. Uh-huh. And I met Lou Hatman out on the street in front of the Zen Center, and he had on the ugliest suit I have ever seen. <laughs> it was so ugly. It was sort of a uh, an ugly old-fashioned tweed suit. <clears throat> and, um, he saw me on the street. I saw him too. I mean, the street wasn't particularly full at that moment. And we met each other. <clears throat> and, uh, but it, ugly suit aside, we became very close friends very fast. Mm. Mm. And I, I I didn't become, it, it, I didn't become friends with Blanche until years, years had gone by, but I became friends with Blue that year. Uh. I'm not sure I met Blanche right away, and I don't know what he was doing at the Zen Center because he still lived in Berkeley. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, but I remember meeting him. Hmm. Yeah. That, that meeting him for me was a very significant event, hmm. especially because we became very close friends. Hmm. And then uh, I think, I, I don't know when you were ordained, and I, I don't know who ordained you, but I'm almost positive I went to your ordination. Yeah, that was, um, now Suzuki ordained Ed Brown, me, Lou Richmond, and Angie Runyon, right before he died, but he couldn't attend the ordination, so Katagiri did it for him. Okay, oh, that's what happened. Angie Runyon was was ordained with you. Yeah. You said Lou Hat, Lou Richmond. Right. You, Angie Runyon, and who was the fourth person? Ed Brown. Ed Brown, you were all ordained together. I, I remember you specifically um, all these years later. Uh. But I I remember thinking that Angie Wenyon was kind of like this perfect person. Oh. And I, I don't think she was exactly, but, you know, that's what I remembered at the time. That she, I think she... She spent a lot of time sewing robes or something. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. I mean, we all had to sew our robes. Uh, some of us had help. I had a great deal of help. 
uh, uh, but um, I sold my rock suit, but I had help with a lot of help with the okay. So, uh, yeah, there was a lot of robe sewing going on back then, uh, uh, mainly at rock suit sewing. Uh, the, rock, yeah, okay. The little bib we wore. <laughs> uh huh. I know the the first rock suits that were sewn were a lot smaller. They they made them a little uh, uh, they made them a couple inches bigger as time went on. That's true. The uh, 1970 was the first rock suit sewing, and it was uh, led by. Joshin-san. No, by, uh, by Yoshida. And we called yeah, her Yoshida I, Roshi. And Yoshida those were was, smaller. And I did that one. And that was my lay rock suit. The, the priest rock suit I got in 71 was bigger. Yeah. And, and okay. Suzuki yeah. did kanji on the lay one, but he was dying. And Katagiri did it on the priest one. Oh, they did. Okay. Yeah. So you were the first rockets that were written on by Katagiri, I guess. Well, yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. I never thought of that. I had a boyfriend in college who was from Korea. And he, I don't, I think he had a shaved head. But anyway, Category Roshi reminded me very much of that boyfriend from Korea. He probably wouldn't like to know that because I think most Japanese people don't like Koreans. But boy, did he remind me of that boyfriend. He he would do the same thing. My boyfriend would 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 reach up and he would take a hold of his scalp and he would kind of push. Push it together with both hands on either side of his head. He'd push his scalp together under his hands, and he'd huh. say, "I have many agonies." He would say, <laughs> "Huh, huh." My boyfriend would say that, and he and he said, would say it. I think because he had such a his his dad had died and was. Buried or whatever they do in Korea, in, in, uh, Korea, in North Korea. But oh. He and his, but he and his mother and his younger sister went to South Korea and he couldn't go back to North Korea and take care of his father's grave. Mm. My boyfriend. Yeah. He could, he just couldn't go back and do that. And to him, that was, um, the most horrible thing that he could think of was not taking care of your, oh. your uh, He just was miserable about that. And I think he was, I think his spiritual belief was Confucian. Huh, that's that interesting. Yeah. I think, it, I think he was Confucian. And he just uh, suffered so much. And then I fell in love with him. Mm. This 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 Korean boy, I fell in love with him, and I wanted to go back to Korea with him. And he said, "You know, you can't go back to Korea with me. You just can't." And I said, "Well, why not?" And he said, "You, you have no idea what it would be like to be 
a daughter-in-law in Korea. He yeah. said, it's hell. He said, you, you don't want to be a daughter-in-law in Korea. Yeah. And so that was that. Yeah. <laughs> Funny that I remembered that. I haven't remembered about him for years. <laughs> so this boy's friend. But I really fell in love with him. And huh. I, I, when, when he was getting ready to go back to Korea without me, I became very angry. And um, somebody said to him, you know, why is Iva so angry with you? And he said, he said, because I'm leaving. Mm. And I thought, I thought, oh, he's so wise to know that. Like, how obvious can you get before you get wise, you know? <laughs> so. <laughs> uh. Uh. so anyway, I ended up at the Sun Center in the early 70s. <laughs> mm. And that, mm. I don't know what you were up to at that time. Well, um. You said what I was up to? Yeah. I remember what, you. It's yeah. Just, well, what, you, in, when, in 71, I was living at Tassajara. 72, I was work leader in the city. 73, work leader at Green Gulch and Dick Baker's Jisha. Uh, is, is this about the time you're talking about? I guess I am. And, and didn't you, didn't you get involved with one of the kids? across the street with that her, her mother was that poet oh yeah I, uh, Jeannie DePrima Jeannie and I were very close and uh, I've done a couple of podcasts with her here um, oh okay yeah we're, we're we're close still really yeah yeah she's living up in Idaho I, I did four hours of I think I divided it into two podcasts with her. I, okay. Yeah. And she, she's really doing well. She's really, uh, blossomed. She had a lot of trouble through the years, but, um, boy, she has evolved really nicely. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's nice to hear. Yeah. She had a really rough I like childhood, some of it. Well, I think that uh, Diane was probably not the easiest mother to have. Yeah, you know, but just, I, I, I said a rough childhood, but a fantastic one at the same time. Uh, and, uh, and she's very forgiving for some of the, uh, mm, questionable parts. And she's very appreciative of, of the, the blessings of all the good stuff. She's, uh, Really got a good sense of that. A lot of people grab on to, uh, uh, negative stuff in the past. I mean, that's the normal thing to do. Um, you and I were talking about it yesterday, how, um, um, people, a lot of people feel after their experience at Zen Center feel like, unappre- like they weren't appreciated. Uh huh. Yeah. We did talk about that yesterday. Yeah. You have anything to say about it today? <laughs> Not really. Uh, let's see. I didn't feel appreciated. I There was an experience. I had an experience at the Sun Center 
which was in, in every way you could think of was a trivial experience, but I like it never left my mind. In, in, I'll tell you about it. Yeah, I do. I don't think I told you yesterday. There was, there were a, a number of us and we were standing out in front of 310 Page Street, not 300 Page Street, in front of the Baker's house. And Dick Baker was one of the people. Matt Alexander was one of the people. Who? I was Who? one of the people. Matt, M-A-R-K, Matt Alexander. Oh, yeah. And who else? Okay. I don't remember. I remember those three or four people. I think, I think that Dick Baker's wife, Virginia Baker, was there. Yeah. And Mark, and, and who else? Me. Yeah. Uh, and um, I don't know who else. I oh, no okay. longer remember who else. But there was a bunch of people standing there. And uh, Dick Baker said, he said, Michael Sawyer can see the rings of Saturn. And I thought, for what? I can see the rings of Saturn. So I said, everybody can see the rings of Saturn. I said, I can see the rings of Saturn. And he he looked at me and he glared at me and he sort of said, you cannot see the rings of Saturn. I mean, how did he know? I could see him, you know. I, I, my eyesight was very good. I could see the rings of Saturn. So then I don't know what Mark Alexander said, but I, I asked him a question and he did not answer it. And I said to Mac Alexander, he, and I, I, I don't know what his job at the Zen Center was at that time, but he said, I, oh, I said, Mac, why do you hold on to information like you do? You know, why do you do that? And he said, because information is power. Uh huh. I was shocked. I don't know why. But the, the combination of Dick Baker saying that I could not see the rings of Saturn and Matt Alexander saying that he, he, he held on to information because information was power. And mm. I saw that as information over Iva is power. Uh-huh. And I, I was shocked by it. I, I, I don't know why, but that shock lasted for years with uh-huh. me. Huh, that's very interesting because that's, Mark Alexander is, it's not that type of person. He, he's never been on a power trip. That's very interesting. You know what I mean? Mark was always, uh, to me, very fair and, uh, a fairly humble person, uh, who, who didn't lord it over others in any way. Uh, but, you know, maybe the combination of him being there with Baker, who did have a more imperial relationship to people sometimes, uh, but also could be very intimate, like when he went up to you and said he chose his own time to die. Um, uh, and your story also points out how we grab hold of things and, uh, you know, don't let go of them and interpret them. And uh, uh, well, I sure did that. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> I grabbed 
that, and I did not let go of it, not for years. That's very interesting. Well, I guess it I represented mean, to you uh, how you felt about your position in the Zen Center world uh, or something. Yeah, I think it uh-huh. Yeah. The Zen Center world, to me, excluded me or not, not exactly excluded me, scapegoated me. I felt scapegoated at the Zen Center. Well, now, scapegoat means that you got blamed for doing something that somebody else did. Uh, well, I, I, felt, I felt that I was not exactly blamed for doing stuff that other people did but I, I felt as if of the center kind of a clue on me mm. I was seen as a sort of the, the the family jerk you know something something like that then oh. center felt like a big dysfunctional family to me and that I was at the bottom of the heap oh that's how yeah um, I do talk to people who I just talked to another person recently who, you know, after their years at Zen Center, toward the end, they felt like they were sort of just sort of pushed out and told unkind things a couple of times that really stuck with them. And this was a person who was very capable and, uh, very upright person, uh, and I talked to another person recently who was who was driven out after 25 years of doing a lot of really important stuff. I mean, in, the institution has institutional reasons that are sort of beyond individuals for doing things. But it's a it's a difficult problem because um, uh, it's it's an institution and inst- institutions. Tend not to really have a heart, uh, and may, institutions have egos and are permitted to have egos far beyond what an individual would be allowed, uh, and, and get away with it in terms of reputation. Um, and uh, I was just talking to, um, I just did a podcast talk with a woman who was involved with Sogil Rinpoche's, uh, community in uh, Europe uh, for many years. And, and uh, you know, he, he was very abusive uh, to people around him at times. But uh, he had something set up within the Sangha to keep touch with Sangha members and be able to help them when they had a problem. And... Uh, uh, that, that's all, the Zen Center's been weak with that. You know who was good at that was, uh, Richard Baker. Uh, and, uh, but anyway, it's a problem. Alive. It's a problem. Is, is Richard Baker still alive? Yeah, it's gone strong. He's going to be 88 in, uh, the next month. And he's teaching and still traveling and, uh, he does, feel like he's winding down <laughs> but he's he's uh i mainly think of him in germany but he he goes to colorado a lot too but uh he's 10 years older than me and uh 
I don't want to travel and do stuff as much as he. I like to be near home and just walk. And yeah, he's pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, yeah, he could be thoughtless, but he could be thoughtful. You know, uh, he, you know, he specifically people who'd given money to Zen Center and ran into hard times. He said we should be able to give them back. Uh, like I think it was two thirds rule, two thirds of what they gave. And things like that. Uh, but it was, that was the imperial period. And, uh, then it moved into more of the power like struggle period and then the bureaucratic period. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Which I helped. I, I did my bit to help create the bureaucratic period to, to downplay the importance of the abbots, uh, and, and make them, uh, multiple abbots with uh, term limits. I was very involved oh, with the board that created that. Huh? I said, oh, you were still at the Zen Center that late. I was on the board. You know, I came back uh, and living there 85, 6, and 7. And I was on the board 6 and 7. And, uh, yeah, that was uh, one of the... That's the main thing I remember of that period. But since then, I have not, I have been uh, more an alumni, you know. I see. Okay. So how I went, how long I, were, were you at the Zen Center, living there or being fully involved with it or whatever? I would say 14, maybe 14 years. And then I went away and I went to... England. After I came back from England, I, I I went back to the Zen Center, and the reason that I went back was because I wanted to I wanted to let go of of my anger at the Zen Center, and I decided that the only possibility of my letting go of this, that anger was to go back to the Zen Center. And I went back to the Zen Center, and I spent a year and a half, another year and a half at Tassahara. What what year? Um, do you remember there was an incident, and I was at Tassahara when it happened, and I can't remember what year it was, but it was the year that the the whole thing about Bill Lane. I don't remember what Bill Lane did, but he did oh, yeah. something that got. Yeah, yeah, he was staying with me, and uh, right. he was very, uh, you know, he was he was coming. I was living in Sebastopol. You remember that house? You were there, and uh, uh, -huh. uh, uh Bill Lane would come there, and uh, I was involved with him at that time. So that would have been around nineteen. That would have been in the the late nineteen nineties. Or yeah. even, even, no, you know, I, I think it was even more around 2000. I don't think I was, well, anyway, I was at the Zen, I was at Tassahara when that happened. And at that time, I was kind of friends with Bill Lane. Um, he, um, I don't remember why I was kind of friends with him. And he, he stood up for me sometimes. What Good. happened? Oh. I can't remember why he stood up for me, but he stood up with me, for me about having Zen Center in uh, health insurance when I was at Tassahara. Oh, good for him. See, well, he was still, oh. 
uh, the treasurer of he was treasurer yeah. of Zen Center at that time. He had been treasurer many years, uh, and uh, yeah, so good for so, him. Yeah, he stood up for me, and the person who was the manager or whatever they called it, the person that was the manager it isn't the right word, but of manager Tatsahara. of what? Of Tatsahara of Zen Center? Yeah. Director. Director, director of Tatsahara. And the director was a woman uh, who who ended up leaving and going, I think, to Texas at some point. Yeah. Uh, she's just arrived here. Well, there's several. Uh, Galen Godwin just arrived here in Bali. She went to Texas, but that was later. Maybe you're thinking no, of Barbara. You're thinking of Barbara. Barbara Cone or something. Yeah, Barbara Cone. Yeah, Barbara went and started the, or was involved with the Austin Zen Center, Galen uh, Houston Zen Center. Oh, okay. So is Galen still in Bali? She just arrived. Uh, that was uh, Maya Winder called me up, and the two of them came here for, I think, to be here a week or, or, or a little over a week for to experience uh, spiritual ceremonies here. They're on a, some sort of package or thing, you know. I don't quite know, uh, but... I I think they'll be they'll be coming over here to say hello. Uh, do you live in a city? Huh? Do you live in a city? We live on the uh, on the edge of Dimpasar, the big city in Bali, uh, in Sanur, which is like uh, a beach town. But you know, uh, and it's on the edge of what I call the tourist expat south. But it's on the edge of it, and it's, it's uh, a little quieter and uh, funkier than uh, the more famous parts. Okay. I, the reason I asked is, isn't because I, I don't know beans about Bali, but because when I was talking to you yesterday, I heard cars once or twice. You heard what? Automobiles. Yeah, well... Uh, we live on a, like an alley off a street, so, uh, we call them gongs. Uh, so you heard, let's see, when I was talking to you, I think you heard a car coming up to, uh, you know, we, we do have cars on the gong, motor, motor, maybe more, uh, many, many more, uh, motor scooters than cars. Maybe uh, the motor scooter. I, I thought I heard you know, I yeah. thought, well, I guess he lives in a city because I'm hearing city noise. That's what yeah. I thought. I didn't ask at the time. Yeah. And I, you know, I've known you've been in Bali for quite a while. It's been, it's been years and years, hasn't it? Yeah, this is our 10th year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, look. Okay. You said you left Zen Center after 14 years. Now, if you came in... 71, that would have been 85. Uh, okay. Okay. I was gone for a while in 83. In, in 1983, and it just so happened that it coincided with that whole 
blow up about Dick Baker and his affair with Anna Hawken. Is that what it was her name? This pretty lady. Yeah. I think it was Anna Hawken. Yeah. Well, in okay. a weekend affair. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, whatever whatever he did, he the whole Zen Center thing blew up. I had a, I already had a ticket. I was gonna go to Germany and join a peace walk. Oh, cool. Um, run by some Quakers. In fact, uh, Baton Stone had been at, at the same peace walk, but several years earlier. I saw pictures of Baton while I was there. Baton and his, and his wife, whose name I forget. Mm-hmm. That, you know, and anyway, uh, I wanted to go on that peace walk. Well, I wanted to go on that peace walk, something fierce. So I I went. This is in 83. This was probably only a few weeks after the whole the whole thing exploded at about the uh, Anna Hawkins thing, which I... 83 is... When, yeah, that's when it happened. That's 83. So I went in 83. I left in late April, or I left in April of 83, I went to Germany, I joined the Peace Walk, it was the most, it was even more dysfunctional than Zen Center, (laughs) and uh, uh, I eventually left that Peace Walk and went to um, Edinburgh, or maybe I went to Glasgow first, I went to Glasgow I joined a peace walk that was up there and walked walked for about three weeks and then I broke my ankle, something like that. Oh. And so I came back to the Zen Center and they, I think they were a little bit surprised to see me, but I don't know. I figured what I belonged to the Zen Center. You know, so I went back to the Zen Center with a broken ankle, which which healed pretty quickly. And then uh, I stayed at the Zen Center for another year or two. Are you talking about Page Street? No. Yes, but that's not, that that wasn't all I did because I spent part of that time at Tassahara. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, but I, I don't think I spent, if I spent any time at all at Green Coast, I've forgotten it. And then eventually I left the Zen Center again and I went, I went and lived in Berkeley. And, uh, I did not have a good time in Berkeley. Oh. I loved Berkeley. I mean, I really loved Berkeley, but I just personally did not have a good time in Berkeley. I was, I was, Mugged. I was this. I was that. And eventually, I left Berkeley. But I went back to the Zen Center, and it was because of Blanche that I went back. Mm. Blanche basically did a rescue of me and mm. brought me back to the Zen Center. And this this was sometime in the early nineties, I think. So Blanche brought, Blanche rescued me, took me to the Zen Center, and after a few weeks or months, I applied 
to do a summer at Tassajara, which I did. Mm. And and after that summer, I stayed and I did three practice periods and another summer. Hmm. Is that right? Wow. I was still. I really did want to let. I wanted to let Zen Center go, and I couldn't let. I couldn't do it away from Zen Center. I had to let go of Zen Center being there. I mean, it just. I don't remember a lot about it. Um, the woman, the this woman, and the two kids and her husband lived at Jamesburg. Leslie James and Keith Meyerhoff and their kids. That's and right. They're That's still kids. there. Are you kidding? No. Nope. Oh, God. And they had two kids. Yeah, two daughters. Right. And now they and, have grandkids. Um, <laughs> oh, they do? How yeah, sweet. that's what happens, and, and you then, know. <laughs> yeah. And then, so they, they still are at Jamesburg? Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, mean, I thought that, I thought they left Jamesburg and came up to the city and. Well, me. I didn't know. Le- Leslie was in, I remember she was like, uh, she was president of Zen Center in like 85, 86, 87, around there. Michael Winger was the, uh, vice president. He was in charge of archives. Uh, I, I think I, yeah. I thought she was the only archivist. You thought what? You, David Chadwick, were the only archivist. Well, no, but I'm independent. I don't work for Zen Center. Uh, Michael, okay. usually Zen Center has no real archiving going on. Uh, well, I shouldn't say it that way. They don't have continual uh, archiving with oversight over the whole thing like that. Uh, they have, uh, you know, they'll, they'll do things in, in projects, uh, and have done a great deal through the years, especially, uh, in, in recent times. Uh, but Michael Winger paid a lot of attention to the archives and, um, I was very involved with uh, him and Bill Reddick and back there after I came back from Japan, that was uh you know, in and I was I was collecting all of Suzuki's lectures and the transcripts. I was just and getting it all uh on disc and and then starting to to get uh disc transcribed and then that uh I helped raise a lot of money for Zen Center to do that because they didn't want anybody in the out I had somebody Student of Pat Feelings was uh, transcribing a lecture a day, but um, they wanted it in house. But then they had no budget for it, so I raised money for that so they could do that. And that was a massive project. And you know, uh, Michael Winger, Bill Reddick, and you know, very involved with that. I just got it. I was just talk, uh, ha- having email with Barbara. And, you know, who's got like 70,000 photos, Barbara Winger. And, uh, she said, uh, that she got all of, uh, you know, copies or whatever of all of Zen Center's photos when, when, uh, Michael moved on from that. 
and she's been very involved with preserving things. And I don't know. I asked Sensenor if there's anybody there on photos. No, I didn't get an answer. Uh, but um, hmm. anyway, so please continue. <laughs> I, let's say, okay. Anyway, so I I came and went from Zen Center, but at infrequent intervals. And but near the end, I was I was still friends. I I, I had a multi-decade friendship with um, Lou Hartman. Ah, uh, that's great. I was very close. We was very close, and. Uh, Eventually, I became friends with Blanche. It took, it took Blanche took longer for me. She, I, 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 I had to get used to her. And, mm. um, uh, but Lou, I thought Lou was really quirky, and but Lou and I had a lot in common. Sometimes I thought that we were inside of each other's heads. So, yeah. even even though he was quirky. And unusual and odd. Uh, I felt like we lived in the same space, head mm. uh, space. Mm. So um, when he died, I was asked to come to the funeral and to speak. Oh, so I did. I went to that, and uh, I hadn't sat on the floor for a long time, but. They put the people who were going to speak at Lou's funeral kind of in one little clump in the, in the, there, and I had to I had to figure out how to sit on the floor for two or three hours, and that was interesting. Mm. Yvonne was there, and she was behind me, mm. and uh, right. I must have been there. I was, um, but I don't remember exactly when it was but you know i i was visiting lou uh too but i can't remember uh, if he, i was i wasn't with him when he died but i was with him a few hours before he died oh wonderful and, and he was he was doing that thing that people who are about to die do which is you know they just open their mouth and all they are doing is breathing Right. He was doing that when I saw him for the last time. Right. And, uh, right. Now, I didn't see Blanche after she moved out of the Zen Center and into assisted living. I never saw her again. Oh, well, that was right before she died. That wasn't for long. No, but I never saw her. Yeah, that wasn't that long ago. I mean, how long ago did Blanche die? few years ago yeah huh yeah, but they didn't let me they didn't let me visit her what I felt as if they didn't let me visit her come on who what where at the assisted living uh, yeah it wasn't the assisted living people though it was Zen center oh come people. on I don't believe it oh I I wonder what what really happened then I just don't know yeah, but I do. No, nobody would do that. That didn't make any sense. Hello. Hello. 
Yeah, hi. Uh, we just got disconnected. Um, well, all right. So, um, hmm. yeah, I know one thing is that Blanche did not want to go to assisted living. And there were people who were close to her who didn't want her to go. But uh, I believe uh, the decision by the director of the building was she should leave back. But she probably needed too much help and felt they really couldn't take care of her properly there. Uh, but that's sort of like telling somebody they can't die at home, you know. Uh, right. Anyway, she, she didn't die at home. She no. Died. And one person who was with her a lot was Vicki Austin. Mm. I know that. Vicki spent a lot of time with her. Mm. Mm. Is, is Vicki still at the Sun Center? Do you know? I think so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, now, one thing is you left the Zen Center. What did you do? Oh, I I went to acupuncture school. Oh. In England. I went to England for three years and went to acupuncture school. Oh, oh. Oh, okay. Because I gave, I gave it some thought. I, I really did. I gave it some thought. And I thought, um, listen, Ivor, you thought you could spend the rest of your life at Sun Center. That's obviously not the case. That's not going to work out for you. What do you want to do? And I thought about it for maybe two months. And every time I thought about it, I thought, I thought of something I could do. Every time I thought of something I could do, I thought, oh, I wonder if I could do this with acupuncture. And I asked her, a couple months, I realized that acupuncture was the theme. I mm-hmm. wanted to be an acupuncturist, and uh, so I, uh, I I started writing letters to this acupuncture school where my acupuncturist had gone in England, and I ended up going there. And it took three years to to graduate, and then I came back to this country. I don't remember, but that's, I, oh, when I came back, I went to Boston because um, I was in love with, he was never in love with me, but he, he liked me okay, I guess. I was in love with, damned if I can think of his name, John Bale. Oh, yeah. I, I really, I was besotted with him for something like 14 years. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I lived with him in his, in Boston for, I guess a year, but I, he, he was never in love with me. I was in love with him. So that was a kind of, he wasn't, he wasn't in love with me, but I think he sort of loved me as if I was his sister or something. Yeah. Well, that's nice. What? I said, that's nice. Yeah, John's a very thoughtful person. Yeah, he was a thoughtful person. And he has a group I mean, there. In in Boston, right? I mean, in Somerville or something? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And uh, so I lived in Boston for a while. I lived in Cambridge for a while. That's when I was with John. Um, I mean, not exactly with John, but yeah, I lived in the same apartment with him for a year 
And after his girlfriend died of cancer. Oh. And then, um, oh, yeah. What, what What's her name? I uh, can't remember, but she was from Wyoming. Right. I'll tell you that. Right. Right. Yeah, that was sad. Oh, gosh. All right. Hmm. Now, he was, he was devastated by, by her death. Hmm. And uh, then I moved to Plymouth, Massachusetts, where I lived for a year. I had a year. I, I signed a year's lease on an apartment in, in Plymouth. And first year as a licensed acupuncturist. My first year, I lived in Plymouth. And then I got a letter from the college I had gone to in England, and they said, if you want to go back to California, you should go now. And boy, did I want to go back to California. I picked up everything when I had, that was the month where I fulfilled my lease and could leave Plymouth. And uh, I did. And I went back to California and I lived that. You said you asked me if I lived in San Rafael. That's the, for the next year and a half. I lived in San Rafael. Uh, and, uh. and the reason was because the person I was taking some classes so that I could take the licensing exam in California. Hmm. And I was taking classes like a bunch of people got together and hired a couple teachers to teach us what we needed to know to take the exam, mm. which was mostly herbal medicine. So I took these classes and became licensed in California, and I'm I haven't re I haven't regretted that. I'm glad I did it. Mm. And um, wh where where did you practice in California? Mostly San Francisco. Uh huh. Uh huh. I had an I had an office on um, Van Ness Avenue. Oh, is that right? Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I was I was there for some time, <clears throat> and uh, I'm trying to think where it was on Van Ness. I think it was I think it was Van Ness and Jackson. Well, Van Ness and Pacific. It was out that way. And uh, mm. uh, eventually then I left San Francisco. I I don't know if I have the order of things right, but I think that was, it was after that I lived in Berkeley. And the Berkeley thing did not go very well. And that's when, Blanche did that rescue, and it was after that that I went back to Tassajara for a year oh, and a half. Oh, wow. And, remember, remember they, they used to have um, uh, kerosene lamps in the Zendo at Tassajara? Certainly. Okay. So when, when I went back, I had to sit outside of the Zendo on the, well, I think they called it an Ngawa or something. I had to sit outside because I was allergic to kerosene. I understand. I, I became allergic to kerosene from living at Tassara and then in Japan. Uh, yeah, I, they don't have it anymore, thank God. Uh, no, well, 
I was when I was there, I wanted to stay for the practice period, and that's that when they decided to um, to put up kind of lamps that had low wattage bulbs in them, but they they covered them in something that made it had that soft light that, that we associate with kerosene lamps. Yeah, and that's the who decided to do that. And to get me into Hazendo was Barbara Cohn. Yeah. That's what you said her name. Yeah. She, it was she who did that. And she did it basically for me so that oh. I could stay, so I could stay for the practice period. Yeah. Yeah. I used to complain, you know, when I, when I, you know, when I'd come back to wash dishes in the summer for 10 days during the guest season. I'd complain, I'd lobby to get rid of the outdoor kerosene lamps. I said, look, you're creating like a sort of air pollution around Tassar. It's very subtle, but it's there. And you can do it with the solar now. You can do it with the ones that get solar themselves. And eventually that was all taken care of, which to me is very good. Right. That's good. I think now Tassar... For me, Tashahara felt like my home. It felt like I I had I loved Tashahara. And I still do, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, me too. Me too. Um one thing though, uh, you know, as the the you know, when you go back, if there's nobody there you know, you can really feel I'm, I'm talking about and talking to other people, uh, like a stranger, you know, uh, a very early student. There's no, uh, there's no, uh, respect for the elders. <laughs> and I've heard people complain about, you know, I did so and so for years and I tried, I came back and I tried to tell them about it. They didn't want to hear anything from me. <laughs> that's, that's all right. That doesn't bother me. <laughs> Uh, but, um, I have lobbied Zen Center some to try to have a, I have a thing on cuke.com called the Zen Illuminati. And, you know, I'd write letters to the elders committee about being aware of older students, especially when they're, when they're, uh, sick or ill or alone or whatever that I could never get any interest. Uh, board members would only think of it in terms of raising money. Um, oh, but that sort of thing, uh, I think is necessary for an institution. But since center, it's like a school. It's had so many people pass through it. I mean, where do you draw the line? I, I sympathize with them. Um, you know, uh, Zen center is a place ideally where we learn to take refuge in Buddha, Dharma and Sangha, but we really can't take refuge in Zen center. Uh, and uh not unless you are there full time for a long time and then you've got to be one of the people they don't get rid of. <laughs> uh you know, because people do get moved out and they have to. They they have to do that. I'm 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 both sympath- sympathetic with uh with the institution and with people that have a problem with the institution. But that's pretty unavoidable, you know. Mm. So, 
Iva, uh, we we've gone on uh, quite some time now. Is there is there any territory we haven't hit on that you'd like to uh, uh, like to wax prolific on? Well, you know, I don't think about Duncanville that much anymore. I mean, you must think I do because no, Carol got involved in trying to trying to say I should move into that place that they're building. Or well, there was just one person thought that, and that person right. wasn't involved with Zen Center. They thought maybe you could go into the the Inso uh, Village retirement thing. And like you told me, you have zero interest in that. And I don't have any interest in it at all. Yeah, well, uh, one would have to have a... Uh, if one hadn't been... Inso Village is for people who worked for Zen Center for 20 years, you know. Uh, I don't qualify. Um, and if, if you're not one of those people, then you can... Uh, I guess you could... You could pay a, a hefty amount to live there. Uh, but I don't know. But, uh, anyway, like you told me yesterday, I have zero interest in moving in there. I, I don't have any interest in it. I've seen it. I've, it, it, the last time I drove by there, well, I didn't know where it was, but people kept saying it was north of Hillsburg. And I thought, okay. So when I saw it, I saw the building. I suspected that that was the building where um, where it was going to be, so I I I drove in there and I drove up to the sign and I read the sign and it seems as though it isn't even just Zen Center. It's like five five or six different groups of some kind. I don't think they're all Buddhist or anything. Uh, yeah, like that. there there is something like that. It's got a. It's, it, it joined into some bigger program. Uh, and I don't understand it either. Uh, you know either what? Well. I, sh- I should get Susan O'Connell, who really orchestrated this whole thing. And she's, Susan O'Connell was a very, very effective president, vice president of Zen Center. And she still is effective within Zen Center. Um, uh, I should get, I should talk to her about doing a podcast and explaining about Inso Village. And, this and, that. and she has a very interesting past in the film industry, too. Um, I, I, I'm hearing about this person for the first time. I don't know anything about this person, Susan O'Connell. Never heard of her before. She, she's, she's, uh, been, Maybe the most influential person, uh, I don't know, in many ways, one of the most in Zen Center in the, oh, I don't know, last 10, 20 years. But uh-huh. she, she's been, you know, as an administrator and, a, you know, her, when I first saw her ideas for, for Inso Village, I thought, oh, that's going to be millions of dollars, you know, but, you know, it just kept happening and, that's what I've seen with her. Is she very, very effective? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, and no. when she came to Zen Center, oh, good Lord, when? Maybe in the early 80s or something. A guy in Texas, I knew a very, very wealthy guy from Fort Worth, called me up and said, look, a friend of mine's coming out there. Um, you should meet her and make sure everything's all right or whatever. 
and uh, uh, Johnny Langdon, and uh, yeah, and she, she, she and Johnny were very close. She went and did his. She, she did their. She performed the marriage ceremony for his last wife, and she went back and did his funeral when he died, which was. Uh, I was very sorry about because he was one of the more interesting people in Fort Worth. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard when somebody you like dies. Yeah. Um, I, well, I ran into, okay, I was walking, and I ran into Mac Alexander's wife. Meg Porter. Meg Porter. I ran into her on the, on the path. She had a dog. And um, I said, oh, I thought I heard that you moved to friend's house because she needed she needed help taking care of Mark, who has Parkinson's. Right. And um, she says, no, uh, right at the, it was basically at the last minute, but it was also at the beginning of the, um, the um, pandemic, the COVID pandemic. And she said, no, we're not going to go to friend's house. We're going to move into the Zen Center Retirement Village. Yeah. And I, I said, oh, well, when is that going to happen? Because I hadn't heard that it, they had anything planned, you know, definite. And she said, oh, it's going to happen within the next year. This was probably two years ago. Uh-huh. I think people are, are, are people maybe starting to move in now. Oh, really? Well, it's, it's, very close. They live there. They, she live, they live, I could, I could walk to their house if I was still sort of functional with walking. <laughs> I could walk to the house Pardon in me. 10 minutes or five minutes, maybe. Yeah. They, they live pretty close to here. That time I talked to Meg and Matt, and Matt, Matt will sometimes see me at the park, and if he does, he'll just stand and look at me. And it, it, it used to take me a while to figure out who it was that was looking at me because he doesn't look like he did when he was in his 20s, you know. Uh-huh. So um, mm. I'll say, are you Mac? <laughs> I said that before, Dan. Are you <laughs> Mac? And he said, yes. And I said, did you recognize me? And he said, yes. <laughs> I didn't recognize him. Uh. So... Uh. But anyway, I think they're going to move into Enzo Village because they they were invited, sort of. Oh. And as you said, the, their situation with Sun Center was way different from mine. You know, he was the president of Sun Center, and he did this job and that job. And well, so it doesn't it doesn't matter that he was the president. It's, it's basically how long. Is, is there anything you would like to say uh, in conclusion? Can't think, can't think of anything. I, I I was surprised when you asked me if I wanted to talk because the only part of Suzuki Loshi's life I was involved when was the end of it. Yeah, but I'm interested in you. I'm interested in people. I'm interested in the people who pass through. I've got tons on Suzuki. You said some nice things about him, and that's good. I like having that. 
but I was interested in you and your life. That's that. That's yeah. what the, the the archiving I do is just as much about the 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 people who pass through, the people uh, whose lives touch his, but also just the milieu. Uh, it's uh you know it's an event in in history that we've all been a part of, and we're not going to understand it if we only concentrate on uh, 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 his lectures or you know stories about him. It has to be about all of us because the the times and the milieu and everything created him too. Uh, he wasn't. He wa- he wasn't a great yeah. teacher or anything in Japan. Something happened. Some, uh, some, uh, uh, what do you call it when you're making gold out of, uh, iron, uh, uh, alchemy. Yeah. Alchemy. Some alchemy happened when he came to America. And in that short period of time, it was just like a burst of something, uh, and there's a tremendous amount. Uh, it's a big story, bigger than him. Yeah. So I, I thought he was amazing. I, to me, I mean, during those few months that he still functioned after I came to the Zen Center, I, I thought, I remember what I thought that first time I sat there um, and listened to his first lecture. And the, the thought that came into my mind was, this one is real. <laughs> that's what I thought when I, when I, that's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I didn't know, I almost didn't know what I meant by that. But I, I knew, I heard myself think it. And I thought, wow, this one is real. Mm. And I, what it meant to me, was this one is is a real master, like Yogananda, but this one was alive. Mm, yeah, that's what Hiroshi meant to me. Yeah, and I had no, I had no interest in leaving if he was still alive. Yeah, we well, stayed quite a bit, even afterwards. I stayed. I stayed for fourteen years. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much straightforwardly, and then I was there for two, about two years after that. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, well. But, thanks a lot. I say that the main thing that I had about Professor Roshi was that that this was that this one is real. Hmm. Yeah. Well. Well, and and you're real too. I know. <laughs> and I know. The person, the person that I had the strongest relationship with, actually, was Okafon. Oh, uh, what, what? What? I was. Yeah. I was. I was very close with Okafon. I had. I had lunch with her probably every week for years. Is that right? And. Was it just and the two of you? Me, yeah. Mm. And she said, she said to me before she went back to Japan, she said, you needed a mother's feeling in your life. Mm. And she said, I, 
thought I could do that with you. Mm. Now that still brings tears to my eyes. Mm. That still brings Okasan still brings tears to my eyes because mm. I loved her so much. Mm. Yeah, me too. I, interestingly enough, I didn't think of her as a mother. For some reason, I thought of her as a grandmother. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. But you know, it, I think it's because my mother was not so fabulous or nice to me. Okasan was unfailingly wonderful to me. Hmm. It, the only thing I didn't like about Okasan was that she made me eat those god awful mushrooms from Japan. <laughs> other than that, I adored her. And um, when I went to Japan, I was in Japan only a few months, but when I went to Japan, all of a sudden, it, a lot of stuff became clear to me in Japan, which was that Okasan and also Nakamura, say, who I, I was the assistant to or something for oh, really? some time. Wow. Yeah. So, but both of them, they embodied, they embodied something about Japanese culture, but very different things about Japanese culture. But, and as soon as I got to Japan, I understood what it was. That it was not that I was that the Okasan that I was in love with was Okasan. I mean, she was a person to me, but she also had a status. A certain she wasn't of the same social status as Nakamura Sensei mm-hmm. by a long shot, mm-hmm. and it, I could see that in Japan. I could see all these people wearing these you know, blue and white jackets running around, you know, looking like they were looking like they just got off of a horse or something. And then uh, Nakamura-san, who seemed so um, elegant, mm. you know, yeah. she seemed so elegant. I mean, she had, she had drawers and drawers of silk kimonos. That was so beautiful, you know. At the end of her life, her family put her into a a retirement home or a hospital or something, and she didn't have anything. She was alone. She didn't have any of her kimonos. Uh, It was very sad. The the bakers visited her, and it was just tragic. Whereas Oksan went back and lived with her daughter, Harumi, in... Uh, Shizuoka, very near Yaizu, you know, where, uh, Suzuki's temple is. Right, right, temple was, yeah. And yeah. And I, was. I visited, I've been there several times. I visited her, wow, I guess the year before she died, she was like over a hundred. Uh, and that was wonderful. Yeah. We, we, uh, we got involved in that. Um, we all went to the Sun Center. On her birthday, one year, it was about a year before she died, I think. And we saw a film that somebody had taken of her, and she was mostly looking at these packets that she had of people who had 
died, her friends who had died, she took all these packets off of the altar and showed them to the camera. Huh. And she was right. She was close to her own death, right? And then, uh, Okafon, and then, uh, uh, Yoshi, uh, the, the, the woman who was the mother of the people who owned the, the, uh, jazz club called Yoshi's. No, Yoshi it's, is the one who founded the jazz club. Yoshi the woman? Yes. I didn't know that, but anyway. Yoshi was there because she she could speak both Japanese and English, and she translated this filmed stuff mm. for us and trans what we said back into a film that we were sending to Okafon. And until she almost passed out, I mean she was elderly, you know, and we finally had to stop doing that because she was so tired and so old. It's so sweet, Yoshi. Hmm. Well. And, uh, uh. Yeah. Huh. Uh, I don't know if you're talking about, I mean, Yoshi started the, the nightclub. She wasn't, she, she was doing all right. Uh, she was still involved with the nightclub. She married, uh, Gingo Akiba, who was the, Abbot, he was the bishop of Soto Zen in America and had been at Zen Center, had been a student at Tassajara when he was younger. And, uh, they had a, a Zendo in Oakland and, oh, I- uh, uh, you know, Katrinka and I went over there and visited her oh, a few years before we came here. She was doing fine. So I don't know if you, you had it. Huh? She was doing that not that day. It was just that we exhausted her. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. Yeah, she used to come to Zen Center to events, you know. Uh, and then she did a lot of uh, tea ceremony, and she'd set up these events for Japanese culture and tea ceremony. She'd try to get me to go. I didn't. I didn't want to go. I'd beg out. Ah. Uh, uh, well, that's very interesting. That was good to hear. I'm glad you, you mentioned that now about Oksan. Well, before we part, is there anything else uh, that you might have neglected to share? No, it was my last, my last thing at the Zen Center where I would go every once in a while and I would stay in that apartment upstairs that she used to live in that at the end there, Blanche oh, yeah. and Lou lived in. And yeah. I would go up there. They would give me a futon, and I would sleep in the living room of that apartment, you know. Yeah. And uh, that's all. I was, that was the, that, they were the last people that I knew at the Zen Center. And because Blanche and Lou, Used to say that I was their adopted daughter. Oh. Blanche huh. was my mother's age, you know, exactly. So. Hmm. So you had two mothers there. You had, well, we had a, a grandmother. You had Blanche as a mother figure and Oksan as a grandmother. <laughs> oh, I adored, oh, I adored Oksan so much, yeah. you know. I just, 
I loved that refrigerator of hers that was filled with those plastic, Japanese plastic boxes. And she would go over there and she would just pull out one box after another and give me a, a taste of what was in the box, you know. Ah, uh, yeah. And I just, I, oh, I really loved her. Um, and I loved Blanche at the, at the end. Uh, Blanche would want me to stay overnight after Lou died because she, she, because they had together 60 years and she wasn't used to being alone. Oh. Oh. Hmm. Oh. Hmm. I understand that. Uh, yeah. Hmm. It was interesting because she did, they, they didn't talk like they were so close, but I knew they were close because I, they also lived at Tassajara once and I, while I would stay in their uh, house at Tassajara, not Tassajara, at Greenbelt, and I would stay in their house and I would sleep on the sofa in the living room and, and they would get up in the middle of the night and they would walk into the bathroom, you know. And I would, I would watch the, the two of them do this and, you know, first one and then the other. And they walked the same way. They mm-hmm. walked the same They were, they, you know, they, they, they knew each other so incredibly well that they didn't even know it anymore that they knew each other that well. Mm, yeah. Well, they were together a long time. 60 years is a while. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not real good at coming up with more stuff for you, honey. Well, that's perfectly all right. Uh, it's really, I think, uh, very complete, and I really appreciate it. And it's been really good talking with you. And um, uh, let's stay in touch, all right? Yes, yeah, that's great. <laughs> I, I like I like talking to you. I like talking to you. Hey, I appreciate you calling, and I appreciate you spending so much time talking. And I don't know how you can do this for free, but if you can, good good enough. I called you with Skype. I pay about $29 a year for unlimited phone calls to the U.S. and Canada. Oh, okay. And then I have a exactly. second Skype account for if it's calling another country and even the ones that are more expensive and stuff it's nothing compared to what phone calls used to be i can remember spending nine hundred dollars calling elon in taiwan and, and then in japan when i'd call and talk to america you know it could be a i could have a hundred dollar call easy now with you know, what's available through the Internet, you can just talk for free, you know. You don't even have to pay the other. So uh, thanks a lot. It's been good, and uh, uh, I wish you the best. Thank you, David. I, it's, been, it's been lovely talking to you. <laughs> it's been good talking to you. I'm very pleased. Yeah. You take care. You take care, too, and so... We can say goodbye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So thank you very much, Iva. I appreciate it, Iva Jones. Uh, Yeah, you live in a nice place, Healdsburg.
Um, and uh, wishing you the best. This has been a Gook Audio Podcast. I'm DC, coming to you from Sleepy Sonor with Doggett Bandita, guest Doggett Bumbita, and dear lovely Katrinka. And we're wishing you and yours and all of us a grand awakening. Thank you.